Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So this was another one of those interviews for me at the Toronto International Film Festival where I felt like I was really uh, kind of breaking ground for, for myself as an interviewer and, and as a podcast host, but but also just stepping into a historical space with, with Robert Fisk and Young Chang. Young Chang's the director of Up the Yang Chi, which is a brilliant film. If you haven't seen that, you definitely need to see that as well. But this is not a movie, is what we're talking about here in this interview, directed by Young Chang and, and with uh, legendary foreign correspondent and, and author Robert Fisk. And I've just had so much fun in this interview, and, and I hope they did too. <laughs> and, and we talk, I mean, in this era of fake news, uh, and, and, and as, as Robert says, this, you know, this, this era of face, Facebook journalism, you know, which he's, he's, he's critical of, but open to for sure. Uh, we, we, we talk about a whole lot of things that matter. I mean, I, I'd like to think this was an interview that's kind of a mile wide, but, but more importantly, a mile uh, deep as well. Uh, we talk about language and, and, and we talk about um, refugees. We talk about the, the, the life of a journalist that, that is, spans the globe in a you know in an actual geographic geographic uh, literal sense but also has this global uh, reach as well and robert has something to say about pretty much uh, everything recording things with his own eyes he talks about he 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 talks about how the notebook and the pen for him are still uh, so valuable and for me this was just so relevant and so important this insight that if you don't go if you aren't on the ground you 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 can't even get close uh, to to starting to to uh, to tell the truth and and to really be um, um, paying attention and listening in a way that actually matters. He says something else in the film that, that again, was for me was just so uh, insightful, and that is if, if you're going to be neutral and, and unbiased, uh, you, you, should, you need to be neutral and unbiased on the sides of those 
who suffer. And I think that is a really interesting notion for so many different reasons. He writes uh, as if he's writing to a friend. So listen in for a fascinating interview with Robert and with Young. And and also check out the film, This Is Not a Movie, uh, coming soon to a theater near you. This was the world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. DavidPeckLive.com for more information about my writing and speaking. And you can purchase a copy of Real Changes Incremental there through Amazon. And don't forget, FaceToFaceLive.ca does cost us a little bit of money. We'd love it if you would uh, consider coming alongside and supporting us. You can do that through Patreon a dollar, five, ten, twenty dollars a month. We have a few supporters there and a few more would certainly be helpful in the near future. And if you can't do that, and I totally get if you can't, uh, we'd appreciate a quote. Uh, leave us a little review. Uh, a line or two on iTunes uh, really does help to get us noticed and to get word out on the street. And, and uh, sign up for our newsletter. Do forward this podcast to your friends and uh, remind others about Face to Face. And also, you can... Advertise with us now, too. We're starting to break some ground there. We uh, we have a newsletter. You can advertise there. Banners on the website. You can uh, advertise through a podcast. We can even do special podcasts created just for you and yours. So do uh, reach out to us if you're interested in advertising to a new demographic. It's pretty wide, and it's global, and we are listened to uh, on a regular basis by thousands of people around the world. So check check us out. Reach out to us if you dare. And also, rabble.ca. We're hosted there. News for the rest of us, journalists and podcasters and writers and thinkers uh, that are tackling issues that matter. So check them out as well. And uh, don't, uh, don't go away. Coming right up, uh, Robert Fisk and Young Chang, conversation about their new film, This Is Not a Movie. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by two very special guests here with us today uh, at the National Film Board, actually, and in a studio of all things. This is fantastic, soundproof, no interference. Uh, who would have thought that we would be so sophisticated? Uh, we have Robert Fisk and filmmaker Young Chang here to talk today uh, with us about their new film, This Is Not a Movie. Thank you to you both. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, and straight from the television studio, I understand. So is this like a whole other <laughs> career now for you, Robert? Is that what's... We're, we're I don't know why I've gone on leftist uh, shows like yours before. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And his film, not ours, by the way. Yes. You've got to take responsibility for the movie. I'll just... Be yeah, we'll, we'll defer to the subject for the subject's input, and then the, you want. Yeah. the director will talk about the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. So... so um, well, listen. Why don't uh, Why don't you give us a little bit? And by the way, congratulations on the film. Thank you. Love Thanks. the film. Oh, good. Uh, Great. It's yeah. it's uh, it's an essay of a sort. Mm, that's it's what I like to think. Yeah. yeah, it's the kind of a film that that that, that I think people will be writing essays about yeah. and and going back to. I hope. And I mean, it really peels back uh, the layers. And Robert, as you say, challenge alas, alas, ch- ch- challenges authority uh, <laughs> along the way. So hopefully, we can we can dive into to some of that. So so Jan, why don't you tell us a little bit about the sort of just get us. Sure. Give us a little bit of context for our listeners who haven't probably seen it yet and hopefully are going to in the very sure. near future. Well, firstly, it uh, this film called This Is Not a Movie focuses on uh, the, uh, uh, the legendary journalist Robert Fisk. 40 My years. My legendary is a worrying phrase. What do you like? What do you like? Uh, what, what do I say? <laughs> I don't uh, like veteran. I don't okay. like legendary. Veteran? Just Veteran's not right. Middle East You're still working. Middle East correspondent Robert Fisk. Is Middle okay. East correspondent Robert, Sp- Robert so, Fisk. So, so I don't know you well enough yet, Robert, to know <laughs> if that was sarcastic tone or if it was sarcastic tone with some intention it's behind it. It's deep cynicism, which has, <laughs> been, de- which has <laughs> been developed You're cynical over two years of working with this guy. <laughs> Robert and I have a uh, particular banter between yes. each other. Folks, this is it's no longer a podcast. <laughs> it's an argument between Robert 
Robert in yours. <laughs> it's not yeah. an argument. It's an attempt to intimidate him for another movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, um, Forty years in the Middle East uh, as a foreign correspondent, and um, so uh, I came about to uh, make this film because I was uh, curious about how to um, in, uh, understand this uh, new ma media scape of. Uh, of of the news and how we interpret the news, and uh, Robert uh, is this, you know, um, you know what he's someone who's got the longevity and experience uh, in journalism to I think be able to speak upon, um, you know, ideas of what quote unquote the truth is. And yeah, and I, and I know that I always put quotation marks around yeah. truth. I think what, you know what. Um, what Young always said to me when we were out in the field, so to speak, is, look, he was very struck when Trump won the election. Uh, you know, I have other problems in the United Kingdom, as you can imagine. Right, um, yes. In the Middle East, there aren't so many real elections anyway. But what, what worried him and concerned him was that this was a new age in which uh, I, I don't use words like fake news. I think this is a State Department, you know, White House cook-up of verbalism. But um, I, I think there, there is a great problem now in that those of us in the news business, as it's called in North America, uh, have become so addicted to um, you know, Facebook, social media, citizen journalism, which is interesting. I quite like the phrase, citizen journalism, sure. but is also um, inexpensive and often very inaccurate. And I still think in an old-style way that you have to be out on the ground climbing a mountain, which we actually did <laughs> during the course of making the film, uh, and, and of going and talking to people who actually live there as opposed to agency type cliches you know reading the agencies and and basically following a line and a narrative i hate that word by the way set down by governments including when there is a sane one in britain and so uh, for this reason um what i wanted to do when we had spoken about this initially was to say look come to beirut and see what you think and it was very nice because he didn't try to tell anyone as many directors do what's happening in the Middle East. He listened to what mm. they thought was happening. And <coughs> I said, look, if you want to follow me around, watch me do my work, and I use a notebook and a pen. I don't have yes. all your technological claptrap, but uh, don't tell me to do something again. Don't tell me, can we repeat that shot? Can you ask that question again? Could you ask that Palestinian to move just a little bit to the left over Interesting. there? Interesting. Uh, because so that's not how... You, you, you were open to being directed to a point, but not edited. I don't think a director is a actually really direct. Yeah, no, the no, approach wasn't that way at all. Yeah. I think we, early on we established the idea that uh, that um, to, ma to maintain the journalistic integrity sure. of this movie, which is the opening quote, by the way, isn't it's it? True, yeah. in a way, and unlike the uh, unlike my other observation, quote unquote, um, observational filmmaking approaches, sure, sure. Uh, this is one where I can't set the camera up and ask Robert to walk through the frame, or you know, you know. Make find the perfect composition for right. the for the shot. Right. Right. Uh, this was you know sort of uh, about the immediacy, about you know tagging along with Robert, but it, and and capturing those moments. And if we miss the moments, we miss the moments. So it was about being uh, you know didn't really hap didn't happen often. Didn't happen no, often. Did. It was really being close to him and and digging in through his eyes, uh, his reporting and his reporting methods. Robert, didn't you say uh, in the film as well, I think, uh, Young, you left this in, I would imagine, quite intentionally, didn't you say something to the effect of, and I think I have the quote here, but unless you're actually present in the space, in the geography, in the context, you can't really even tell the truth. 
Yes, I did. I, that's not quite accurate because I would never use the word space. Okay. I might say <laughs> the region, the place, etc. Anyway, that's yes. just me getting Sure, sure, sure. No, it's cliches. good. It's good. Yeah. Um, no, look, I think the point is that um, a journalism has developed where you can sit with a, a laptop and uh, with the help of agency wires, blogs, emails from friends, you can write about the Middle East with apparent clarity from uh, Greenland, well, that's going to be under Trump's control, but you know, somewhere <laughs> uh, in the world, tens of thousands of miles away. And the extraordinary thing is that you can also be taken very seriously when you do this, so that later people will say to you, even in Beirut or in Syria, but hang on, are you sure that's right, Bob? Because I heard on this station, X1, whatever you see, that um, these people said this, that this president's going to hold an election, whatever, you know. You know. Sure. And <clears throat> I've always, I was very struck um, I don't know if I tell the story in the film, but it, it was a, a, a friend of mine uh, said to me, uh, called me up and said, is it true that um, Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince, had visited Netanyahu in Jerusalem, the Israeli prime minister? I said, wait, hell did you get this garbage? You see, And she said, look, it's, it's on all the blogs I'm reading, it's on all the Facebooks. I said, no, but where did it come from? Can't you just put this rubbish down, stand up, live on planet Earth, and say that is not conceivable? Uh, mind you, you might say that it's inconceivable that Trump would meet the Taliban at Camp David. However, in the Middle East, it's a bit of a saner world. <laughs> you don't see that happening. That's not going to happen. And what I always try to say to people, you may not like what I write. In fact, in many cases, they won't. But at least I've been there, seen it, talked to people. I can't promise you 100% knowledge because I can't see over the hill. But um, at least you get a flavor of what's actually happening. And that it's not our job to do what I call 50-50 reporting. Mm. That means you don't say, well, the Palestinians say this, but the Israelis say that. Um, and I think it's a sort of duty we have to uh, – we, we don't have to be neutral. We should report on the side of those who are suffering. Do you know what I love? That's exactly where I was going, Robert. I think – I mean, there's yeah. a so many sound bites and quotes, and mm. you probably hate sound bites. But moments. No, I don't. Actually, I accept sound bites. Really? But, but, but yeah, I'm going to write a rule book about this. <laughs> moments that are just – I'm getting some goosebumps here, but, but – the idea of being biased on the side of people who are suffering to me is wonderful. It's w worth well, exploring. And a, and a perfect uh, example of this is in the film is Amira Haas. Very right. I'm sure you've had her on mm -hmm. your podcast. You should have <laughs> done if you haven't. Uh, you know, most famous, in my view, most famous, with the exception of Gideon Levy, who's her equal, Israeli journalist on Haaretz yes. who lives in Ramallah. Only Israeli journalists who, as Gideon Levy once put it to me, lives among the enemy. Mm. <laughs> Not actually literally, but I mean, you know. Right, sure, sure. <coughs> Most Americans do too, don't they? Do they? Most Americans live among the enemy, don't they? Sorry, I tried. That was a, I got a very, it, yeah. Yeah, I okay, good fellow. I, I got yes, it too, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway. A little um, bit of comedy this morning, folks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, no, I, I thought a number of people, and Nermeen, the very uh, young and mm. very painful young Palestinian girl whose father's just been murdered. Who's in the film that we that you go to interview in the film. Yeah, and, and she just walked out in an alleyway in this filthy camp, Palestinian camp in Lebanon, Sarashatila of massacre fame, 1982, mm -hmm. and started talking to us in very good English. And it was like, you know, a miracle suddenly arrived in the street. You know, you, you, you suddenly realize the Palestinians are not going to die out. You know, this is these people are resolute people. Uh, and then, of course, um, when we actually went to, quote, Palestine, unquote, we only visited... I put it in quotes because I don't think it's ever going to see a statehood. Um, we went to a guy whose home uh, I visited 25 years ago. His parents are dead now, but he, they, you see them in the original film, uh, of how he was thrown off his land. 
and he goes back with me for the first time ever to look at his land. But he's really the only Palestinian, other than that, we, uh, who's in uh, West Bank. Other than that, we have Amira. And of course, we have that wonderful Israeli settler, who I got to like, actually, oddly enough, who says at one point, amazingly, he says, you know, the Palestinians are so passe, they're so 20th century. They're so 20th century, yeah. yeah. I remember, We're as he said that, I thought, yeah, you're on camera. <laughs> you're <laughs> so on we, camera. We got him, yeah. yeah. And were you able to go a little deeper? Uh, 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 I mean, um, it's a question for you too, Young. What did you leave out of the film? It's That's a very good question. You know? There was a lot that we left out of that scene with Chaim, uh, the, the, the settler. And um, uh, I mean, I think what we what we put in the film was the essence of what what is, you know, his his, you know, what what he believed. So so that is why we left that in. And and you know, there was other moments uh, as we were filming, and that was quite a long and, and morning with him. And was he important for you uh, editorially, uh, from a narrative perspective, to to sort of focus on the ideological kind of impact of taking a position whether yeah, I mean I'm, I, I rarely I, I try not to polarize yeah, it's not yeah. quite mm -hmm. that simple it's right, pretty right, complicated right, yeah. it's pretty nuanced mm -hmm. but was well, that, that speaks to I think Robert's yeah. Robert's approach I think to to um, you know writing a story and I thought that the to go meet with Hayam was um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, was a position that uh, you know I, well I think I think on uh, that particular trip y you know why did you want to meet with Hayam Oh, I wanted um, I wanted to talk very seriously for a long period of time to um, an, an eloquent Israeli colonist, as I always call him. It is a colony. Mm -hmm. uh, he, oddly enough, he didn't object to me calling it a colony. And if you remember at the beginning, he says, "Oh, it's you know, you, it's like the Financial Times, you really know your stuff around it." All the other reporters and I said to him, "No, we were on common ground here," you know. Mm -hmm. um, but no, he. It, it's interesting in every story that you see me doing in the film. Of course, I actually was writing for The Independent. And if you look up um, my story on Haim, it'll take you longer to read than it will to watch the interview. Right. Because oh, is it, isn't that fascinating, yeah. And, and one of the interesting things about it was that uh, he made a number of statements elsewhere in the film which were not actually correct. And at the time, I'm, I put a little note in my notebook, check this. And so I then listed him, I, I had him say it in my story, and then I did one mistake, one untruth. Not he was lying, but he'd come to believe things that were not, even about the Balfour Declaration, which were not correct. And um, in a way, I could give more nuance to this guy, uh, whom I came to quite like, as I say. Um, you know, you don't have to take a side if you're going to you know, write about the suffering of people. Um, but one of the things that came out of this about filmmaking was that um, while the technology of journalism has changed both for Young and for me, um, I, I've probably made a better advantage of it than him because I've got, I've got a, a laptop now. I can send my stories by email to London, which I do. It's one of my few concessions to technology. Um, but what I can do now, we're not a newspaper, although I miss the Independent as a newspaper. On the website, instead of writing 800 words, or calling the office and saying, can you take 900, or will it hold till next week? Uh, I can file 2,000, and you don't wait 24 hours to read it. You have five, six, 20 times the readership in less than an hour. And I like that as a journalist. I want to be read by of people. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing is that 
in some ways, although the digitalization of the film technology has, has substantially changed, you know, the absence of that awful umbilical cord that connected you to Sound Man, et cetera, the one thing that's not changed is the temporal problem. Uh, Twenty ninety minutes is the maximum movie length time you can go to a, do to a doc documentary, and it was very sad for me because it reminded me of newspaper days, in seeing how many stories, which must have looked good on the screen because I didn't see the rough cuts. Um, you know, we had one on the destruction of Lebanese mountains, the historic mountains, uh, by uh, capitalist billionaire construction companies in Beirut, who were using the tops of mountains. The landscape of Lebanon is changing. Uh, in building new high-rise blocks, which are which are just investments, nobody lives in them. In Beirut, <coughs> we even had to chase a truck down a mountainside to find out where it was going. They said it was going to a, uh, the airport for new runway. It didn't. It went to a, a construction site. The card. Are these going to be the extras on the? Oh, on for the sure. Yeah. I mean, I think they will find a way to be seen at some point. Uh, we did shoot. Uh, there's plenty of material. I bet. I bet. We were spending a lot of time. This was about the destruction of the heritage of Lebanon. Right. Yeah. And it showed a story that was not about war. It was not about violence. It was not about peace process, as a phrase I refuse yeah. to use. It was about so total corruption. And the other thing was, at the very end, we managed to find a young, very honest Catholic Maronite, of course, in Lebanon, mm. priest, who admitted that the church was involved in this, which was stunning. Wow. Wow. Uh, and again, uh, we did a series of three to four pieces yeah. in The Independent, didn't make it the film. And then we have Gideon Levy. Gideon we as well, of course. And Gideon yeah. Levy, whom you know very well, I'm sure, and you're, you're, I'm sure your listeners do, uh, Amira's colleague and friend. And w I talked to him about journalism, and he was devastating about um, lap uh, laptop, you know, Facebook journalism. Right. Um, and um, I was very sad it, he, he didn't make it into the film. But on the other hand, you see, if that had cut Amira back, Who's it's so powerful? I would, but this is your problem. But it shows it that the technology of film cannot do anything about the temporal problem. How right, much time right, you have? Right. But now my technology allows it allows me to bore you to death with seven thousand words <laughs> on something I'm obsessed about right, right. in a very short period of time. Yeah, you well, you yeah. you type really fast, by the way. <laughs> it's remarkable. I mean, did you speed the film up at all? No, this is uh, Robert's <laughs> hands. No, you wouldn't have seen uh, the hands uh, then. Uh, it's real, real, real time. It's amazing. It's no, amazing. No, I, I, I want to add to that, though, the, the yeah, idea that the temporal kind of challenges we face in filmmaking. And, and yeah, it's it's we are limited by uh, the attention span of an audience. I think that is the gauge in which we have to time our film and um, and I and I think you know this movie ended up. It's the longest film I've made. It's it's almost. I didn't you know, know that. Actually, it's no. an, it's over ninety minutes. We're at, we're breaking the hundred hundred and five minute, uh, hundred eight. Okay, minute you're getting there. You're getting time. there. You're getting. There. I'm getting there. there but you know what? That speaks to the the, the subject matter. You know, is we there a hundred and eight minute rule in documentary filmmaking? I think our rule was there is no time. You know, sure. Uh, you know, cut off. Uh, it just had to. It, the the pace and feel of the film had to feel right, and that's where we landed. Yeah, it no, that not, makes you sense. You know what I mean? Makes it's, a lot of sense. Love to ask number. you about lens in a second, but I, yeah. Robert, do you? And happy for either of you to go this down this road. But early on in the film, you take on the problem of evil, and and you say something about it being deep within our souls that 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 Is allows these things to mm, happen yeah, yeah, and yeah. these things capital mm, t right mm, these are mm, many many i mean let's look at the last what is it 300 years of civilized or what sorry of, of 2500 years of recorded history 3000 whatever it is mm. probably um 
you know, there's a few stains in our past. So anyway, I would love for you to, to World talk. War One and World War Two comes to <laughs> mind. Yeah, <laughs> wow, well, just the twenty, just the twentieth century alone. Yeah. So. Any any comments on that? I mean, well, I wasn't being religious, by the way. Okay, you know, I, I, there yep. was nothing re- religious about the well, use of the word evil. Well, you can be if you like. Uh, and probably, <clears throat> if you put it in its time, if you put it in its time, it's not. Um, you know, we've only thought of evil uh, as a subject for five, six hundred years. Mm. Well, you know, when the Romans crucified uh, um, enemies or uh, slaves, or they sent Christians to the lions, uh, there was no human rights in Rome. They had law. They had poetry. But you can't apply our standards to that. However, um, I actually spoke those words completely contemporaneously. I hadn't, you know, thought through, like I know TV people do, what I wanted to say before I see it. I, I'd been, of course, to all these ruined areas before. I drive through them every time I'm in Syria, and but it was the first time, you know, I, I don't normally need to stop. But I thought it'd be good to actually. I, I was very much aware that the image on a big screen would be sensational. This was Aleppo, wasn't it? Uh, no, the one, the, the one that at the beginning is Haunts. You do Thank see you. Aleppo Great. later Aleppo when I'm walking around. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you end the film, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. One ruin does look much like another as you're right. Um, and I thought that this looked like a ruined city of World War II. Indeed, it did. And I'm just um, old enough to have been taken by my father to Hamburg when it lay in ruins. Uh, I would have been five and it would have been destroyed eight years earlier. And I could see the parallels completely clearly. And in one, in fact, um, uh, recording I did with an Armenian cameraman, which might or might not be of use to Young, I was in Aleppo doing a film, and I actually talked and make a comparisons with World War II. Mm. Um, you know, after all, the Allies, whether we liked it or not, after the Germans began the war and committed you know, the vast, vast crimes of the century and beyond, um, I said that you know we pretty much destroyed Germany, and all its history and ancient cathedrals and so on, as long as as well as a good many Nazis, one hopes. But um, and I, when I was walking up back up the street, I got the impression, and it was something that came from what I was thinking about Lebanon in the past and Iraq and so on. <coughs> I got the feeling that there was no ra- rational explanation for what had happened. I, I was tired of saying. You know, uh, the crisis turned into a political conflict which became violence, which uh, then pitted the Syrian army against Nusra or opposition, armed opposition groups, who then the battlefields moved, by which time you've forgotten what it's about. And I think there is something more, um, much more powerful at work, and that is that we let this happen. And by letting it happen, like we let political catastrophes overtake people when we sit in the warmth and comfort of Ottawa, Washington, wherever. We are all complicit in it and that we therefore permit it and that it is evil in the sense of being wrong, as in the right and wrong that you're taught as a child, to permit this to happen. But we do let it happen and it's happened for so many times. We grow up with pictures of ruins and war movies and Hollywood destruction that, ah, well, Homs is in ruins and there's Bob walking through them. What's strange about that? It's 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 kind of it's powerful and uh, it's fascinating on a, a certain level and, and, and deeply tragic on another. Um, by the way, I'm we're, we're getting close to having to end the interview and I'm really annoyed. Just so you know, because <laughs> we've barely scratched the surface. But but I can feel that these, this time, this conversation requires a, a, oh, a much discussion. I think we've got I think oh, we've got I think we've got part part, part two. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll get that we'll get that okay. in the books. But we're not wrapping up yet. So. Young, are you a filmmaker? Are you a documentarian? Are you a journalist? Are you a yeah. storyteller? What? Wh- That's great. That, you know, I'm a filmmaker, and I, I think uh, 
um, documentarian isn't the right word. I think yeah, it's, it's I, I, you wouldn't call a fiction filmmaker a fictionarian or something <laughs> like this. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm a I had a philosophy professor yeah. who said you've got to le- create a new word at least once a month. So is fictionarian? <laughs> Did you just? I think you might have. <laughs> Which I think I'm not. Might. And um, no, I, I'm a storyteller as well. And I think. Uh, um, you know, this film, in a way, is a little bit like an essay, and and it's it's meant to built with Robert's reflections and his thoughts on, on um, uh, you know, on journalism and such, and uh, and I think that you know, the the different the key difference between I think a filmmaker that makes documentaries and a filmmaker that makes fiction films is that I think a lot of the work is done in the editing room, and uh, and and this film we you know we had we collected a bunch of material in the present day with Robert actively working uh, and then the challenge was then how to integrate that with amazing archival footage that we also had from Robert's personal archives to um, some films about Robert that Robert was featured in or you were a part of uh, through the decades. Uh, One from BBC in the 1970s when Robert was in Northern Ireland and the second was in the early 90s called Beirut to Bosnia, a three-part series that Robert was the uh, the host. I don't know what you... And... and, uh <laughs> and Presenter, <laughs> perhaps? Presenter. A personal view. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I th- uh, for me, that combined with Robert's character, the way he's able to talk through history as you walk down a street in, in Beirut, uh, that idea of bouncing from past to present was how I wanted to structure the movie. And that could only be done with the talent of, a, of an editor like Mike Munn. So together we were really s- trying to find the organic way to bounce from present to past using these little links that Robert in, in, in the present day can throw us to in the past. It was uh, quite a long process. I, I bet. That's good. Um, Robert, you talk about um, <coughs> writing as if you're writing to a friend. You talk about eloquence, uh, anger, and and truth, I think. Yeah, I put quotes around truth. Oh, yeah, right. of course, yeah. yes. Truth yeah. is now one of my well. You talk cliches. about you yeah. talk about desemanticization. Which oh, yes, yes. That could be a whole podcast in itself, and I think yeah, it should I, I'm, be. I'm, I like that word. That's yes, okay. same, yeah, 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 yeah. same. I kind of desemanticizing out. war. In other words, presenting yeah. it as a clash. Yeah. Between two distant people, but sometimes. Well, you talk about also tired and lazy language, right? Oh, of course, we've, of we've, course. We yeah. love the word terror. It doesn't even mean anything. Terror, 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 terror. That's right. That's the headline. But it's still it's still used. I mean, it's like a, a it's like a political medicine that's long past its sell bite date, but it's still used and it still works. That's the worst thing about it, you know. And, and you, I go back now. I mean, I I've got so many files. I can go back through and say, I remember that speech before. Bingo! You find that Trump saying something or a sentence that was used by Carter. I mean, it, I'm not just saying that. I don't think there's a sort of huge computer in the White House, or if there is, it probably doesn't work. But the point is that it's not like it, it's computerized. It's that. Um, we have sold ourselves on dead language. And, and politicians and State Department spokesmen and soldiers, presidents, generals particularly, they shamelessly use this language. I remember once in, in the Baghdad Green Zone when a general said there's been an uptick of violence. An uptick of violence. Yeah. <laughs> and that word went straight in all the headlines because it was a subs word, uptick. And then people talked about an uptick in the crisis. And then the word crossed the Atlantic. There was mm-hmm. an uptick in the hurricane violence, you see. And, um, uh, and sometimes they'd say, oh, there's going to be a surge of American troops. <laughs> and surge, a surge is something powerful. A surge of American troops means reinforcements because you've got a major military problem on your hand. 
But surge was used as a positive term, right, and again right, they got away right. with it. It's Orwellian newspeak in a way, isn't it? It's not Orwellian because Orwellian is is a deliberate perversion of language, whereas more, this is a reversion of language. Way more intentional. This exactly, is just kind of exactly, exactly. almost more insidious in a way, isn't it? In, in a way. Uh, yes, it probably is. Um, I was trying to look f- to get away from poor old George Orwell, who's always <laughs> <laughs> and who's always grossly misrepresented. Oh, I mean it in, in, in the most positive yeah. sense. Um, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Brechtian might be a better word okay, for this, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I- in a sense, you see, uh, Young does not have this problem in his films, but he must face this problem as a film director, in that this exists in the filmic world in exactly the same way. The cameraman who always makes sure there's a crying baby, yeah. Uh, or the soldier who will always be taken in silly. You know, uh, the soldier who's always going to be on the bridge of a ship, or he's going to be in the desert, proud. Or if you're going to show a dead body, you've got to find one that has conveniently and obligingly allowed itself to be filmed in silhouette against the moon or the dying sun. Because if you actually film the close-up, it's hideous. It's a horror Robert, movie. Robert, I bet you remember this. M- Malcolm Mugridge. This just popped into my head. I remember him commenting on an interview I, I read many years ago. There was an execution somewhere, and they brought in fake grass because they wanted a richer uh, color. <laughs> this is the memory I'm having. I may be making this up. We'll need to fact check <laughs> this for sure. I met I met Margaret. I bet you lived in Kent. Um, he made a number of wonderful and perfect documentaries, which I don't know if you've seen, but you would admire. And he did one on um, neutrality. Mm. Uh, this is American neutrality, you know, until Pearl Harbor '41, and he was flying over uh, Pittsburgh and Detroit uh, in in present day, well, pre- his present day America in the '60s, sure. and he went and suddenly showed clips of aircraft being built in American factories, and in his inimitable voice, he said, "In America, war primed the pumps, you know, financially, right?" And <coughs> in a sense. Um, his documentaries, which I think were made by the BBC, um, I've, I still remember them, and I can remember bits of the script. I bet, I bet. And I think the same applied when I first saw Young's film on the Yangtze. Um, I thought, I'm going to remember that film. Right. And it's like, it's like a great book. If you remember a film, um, you will remember quotes from it, and it'll stick. And that's that's the novel. That's well, the and you fiction. hope, I would think, as a filmmaker, as a sto- as a journalist, you're hoping that these stories. Um, I'm going to use the word fester, but that might be a little too pejorative. But they they get in, they sink in, nice and deep. They create these moments of empathy, empathetic responses that are hopefully going to push you to, cha- like as you both say exactly. in the film, challenge authority and and mm-hmm. take you know, not only your thinking to the next level, but your action a- as well. Uh, yeah, no, I can speak on that. I mean, for up the Yangtze, I mean. When the Three Gorges Dam was going to be built, there was a, a ton of statistical information, and you know you could look at it. Uh, the engineering project itself, you you could read about the million of people being displaced, but there was really no sense of uh, that heartbeat of what was going on sure. through the eyes of people who were experiencing it, and so uh, that's why I decided to kind of zoom in yep. and explore what people were actually going through. Marvelous film, marvelous film, by the way. Oh, thank you. But uh, similarly, I think that's what Robert. I, I mean. Throwing that on you, but I, I think you, you were are writing <laughs> emotionally, uh, getting you know, yeah. writing through the th- sure, th- sure. so that we can connect to I, something. I, I, I probably should add that I read 
huge amount. I probably read three books a week. Yes. Um, well, anyway. you like the you like actual paper. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, let's I get into the twenty first century. By the way, Robert. e-books are going out in Britain. My publisher is that Britain, right? No, no, they're right out. And in the Arab world, they virtually at one point they were eighty four percent. So I, when it's I get a new that. book, I, so, I smell it. Yeah, and you'll smell mm. mine when it comes the out. Ink. Hopefully, at the end of Excellent. Next year, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, looking, no. Looking uh, well, I actually talk about sniffing in a story, don't I? In the film, if you remember, I think. No, I, I think one of the things is that it's not just writing as if you're writing for a friend. Mm. It's if, you're, if your writing is really good, it takes over. Right. One of the things in writing a book, and I'm at the moment on page 1,642 of the manuscript of my new book, wow. is there's always a point when I write a book when the book decides where it's going to go. Right. Uh, and in this book, it was in the central chapter, which was on religion, and it was going to be about Islam. And it turned out to be about Christianity. And from there on, the book starts moving into darker pages. And it's going to end in Well, in ISIS. some way, I'm not so sure they're that far apart in some respects. And We're I, moving towards evil yeah, again. You yeah, realize yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, sadly, we have to wrap this yeah, up. This can, we, can we talk about Robert's anger for a second? I think well, he says in the film that <laughs> he, he's getting angrier as, as, he, as he gets older. Young, same, same for you. And I, I would imagine everything that Robert says comes with some footnotes. But... but can you guys talk about that? I mean, you, you don't strike me as angry guys. You really don't. But you, you, you're interested in the truth. Clearly, the film's about challenging authority, taking it to the next level, and so on. The D, D, Yeah, anyway. No, I mean, I think uh, through the eyes of those who suffer is, I think, a great right. wow. uh, yeah. approach to what a to great think line. about. What a great uh, title for an essay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I Or a movie. Or a movie. <laughs> yeah, no, there's... Uh, there is an anger behind things that don't f- they don't feel right and uh i mean maybe just maybe justice is justice, a better better word yeah, or a desire is, for you yes know? exactly yeah. if you think of the um british soldiers who liberated belson concentration camp and no doubt the russians who liberated Auschwitz, a lot of them said afterwards so now we know what the war was about now i know it was worth fighting um it wasn't just because they were horrified by what they saw. It was because it was people who were suffering. There was absolutely no excuse for this. you know. And on a much smaller scale, I see that very much in the Middle East. You, you go into a city that's been bombed by the Syrians, by the Russians, by the Israelis in Gaza, and you said, this is a disgrace, human disgrace. This should not be permitted. Now, you, you can't rely on the Almighty to stop it happening. <laughs> I still don't understand why he doesn't if he exists, but um, there should be. You know, After the Second World War, we had the UN, and we generally believed that life was going to get better morally. We had the UN, we had the new ICRC, International Red Cross, we had the protocols of 1948, 1949 Red Cross. Armies were not going to be permitted or allowed anymore to do aerial bombing. Uh, new weapons that would shred people apart, et cetera, et cetera. And we've done it all. We've done it all. And war has become very normal now. In fact, um, I would say I was writing 50% politics when I first went to the Middle East in 1976, and now I think I'm probably doing 32%, 33%. The rest is like, new weapons, more cities ruined. Wow, yeah. Through the, through the suffering of others? I mean, that's not a bad way to end it's a it's a statement. It's a question mark. Um, th- I, I mean, I've, I don't know about you, but I feel kind of unsatisfied that we've got to wrap this up. But uh, today here uh, at the Toronto International Film Festival and at the National Film Board, thanks to thank a little shout out for them. But Yung Chang, uh, thank you for your time. Robert Fisk, what a, a, a pleasure and honor to meet you. And wow, talk about just scratching the surface. Come on. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 